No, after all the music. So. Okay. <clears throat> hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. It is 10.30-ish, and so we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, welcome to Bucre Baptist Church. Um, whether you are from, let's see if I've got the read of the room, Cincinnati, okay, uh, Northern California, and you said Texas, but no, you're from Nashville now. Okay, okay, all right. It's a pleasure to meet some of y'all. Uh, one of the pleasures of, of this church in general is that since we're in the middle of the uh, tourism district, we get to meet people from all over the place. So uh, it's one of my favorite things to just as a recognition of our unity in Christ to meet brothers and sisters from other parts of the country that we didn't even know. And it's, it's a deeply encouraging thing to me just to be reminded, especially here in a small urban church, just that the body of Christ is, is immense and vast. Um, so welcome, glad you're here. Uh, a couple of announcements before we get started. Uh, it is Palm Sunday, so this this week is Holy Week. Uh, we so our normal services are a little bit different this week. So we're not going to do our regular Tuesday night small group because on Wednesday night we are doing a special uh, Passover service. So we're going to eat a seder meal together as a congregation, and anyone's welcome to join in on that. Uh, we've got some signups for folks who are bringing stuff in the back and we are just about full on that i think there's maybe one or two things that are still missing so if you were thinking about it now's the time one of them salt water dip at y'all that's low-hanging fruit that's easy um so just saying sign up for that you're you're good um so yeah seder meal on wednesday and then uh easter sunday is next sunday if you are wanting to take part in our special good friday service um, it'll be Friday before Shower Friday. So we are still having our Shower Friday uh, outreach uh, to people experiencing homelessness. So feel free to talk to me about how to take part in that. Um, and actually, BCHS is joining us. I'm excited for that this week. Um, and so if you, if you want to take part in that, you can come talk to me. If you want to take part in our service, it's happening immediately before Shower Friday. So you can come and take part in a special Good Friday service right before we get started. Uh, serving people who are experiencing homelessness. Hey, love, welcome. Um, so, I think that's all the announcements. Any, Lewis, I miss anything? Okay, we're good. Brian, you good? I miss anything? All right, let's pray then, we'll get started. Father God, Lord, we thank you for each and every person who's here, God, but more than that, Lord, we thank you for being here. God, I continue to be just blown away um, by the thought that you are the king of all kings. Um, Lord, and yet you consent to come here each week, God, and, and do it joyfully and gladly, Lord, to be with us. Who are we that you would want to spend time with us, Lord? I just praise you for your presence, God, I pray for each and every aspect of our service today, Lord, that you'd be in and through it, God, that you would change hearts and minds. Everything that we want to see done, God, people believing in you, Lord, people being sanctified in your spirit, Lord, changed by your word. These are all works of your spirit, things that you do, God, we are utterly dependent upon you. But God, that means also that you are sufficient. And that if we have you here with us, Lord, that you are enough. So we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Two readings this morning. 
our first one is going to be from the Psalms. And you're going to hear a lot of words and a lot of moments that will be really, really resonant for when we get to Matthew. So, um, I can't remember who I, who I gave it up to. Mr. Joshua, you have our Psalm, Who long for redemption, a new song to sing, 
with them, with heart and voice we shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. God of our salvation, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ our Lord, who came in your name and turned the lovely way of rejection and death into triumph. Grant us the steadfast faith to enter the gates of righteousness, that we may receive grace to become worthy citizens of your holy realm. Amen. Church. Good morning. Good morning. As you're able to stand, let's join in worship this hot Sunday.
kids find their way to child care, please uh, go with me, if you will, to the book of Micah, which is towards the end of the Old Testament. 
If you, uh, if you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand, and there's about an 80% chance someone's going to give you one. Uh, it, actually, you can keep that Bible if you're willing to read it. So, uh, yeah, go with me to the book of Micah. We have been through this series, uh, or through the season of Lent, in a series, through the book of Micah. Uh, but Micah is a larger, is a, is a part of a larger whole, which we typically call the Minor Prophets, but to the original readers would have been called the much cooler name of the Book of the Twelve. Um, and the Book of the Twelve is largely, my dad and I have the same sense of humor, it's great. Um, the Book of the Twelve is largely a book about justice, and ways in which God brings peace into the world and into our lives. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said in John Perkins' quotes in his book, One Blood, it isn't that they can't see the solution. It is that they cannot see the problem. It isn't that they can't see the solution. It is that they cannot see the problem. Which is a statement as true in our society as it was true in Micah's day. Micah spends most of the first half of his book just trying to get his people to see the problem. Everyone was worried about Assyria invading from the north, and Micah very clearly tells them that's, that's not a problem. God's going to turn them around. You are focused on the wrong issue. He said their true problems were already here, had been here for many, many years. In chapter 2, we saw him use the image of God leading his people through a breach in city walls, but he was going out, not into a conquered city, but leaving, leading his people out of Jerusalem with all of its oppression, and into exile. I'm super grateful for Pastor Tom agreeing to preach for us last week for a number of reasons, but uh, one of those reasons is because I had two trainings that took up most of my time last week. Uh, one in which I was learning, and then one in which I was teaching. <laughs> I want to give you just a little bit of what I've been learning, and then I'll give you a little bit of what I've been teaching. The training that where I was learning was a it was called a TBRI organizational workshop. TBRI being the trauma and trauma intervention we use with our kids. If you don't know me, we're we're foster parents, and so we um, are working with kids who have come from some difficult places. And this is the uh, this is a way of intervening in the trauma that's occurred in their lives and giving them what they need. Um, this is also what we have been. Implementing in fits and starts, not really uh, in our ministries here. I've been trying and largely failing to do that. Uh, but we started using TBRI at home, not because we typically follow systems of parenting. Like, I'm, I'm not the let's go and read 10 books on parenting kind of parent, you know? Um, in fact, I was super resistant to it. I am strict as a parent, which is probably shocks no one who knows me. Um, and I have good parents. I'm just kidding, y'all. I'm just saying that because they're here. Uh, but I really, thanks, Al. I really just wanted to raise my kids the way that I was raised. You know, I, I turned out okay is what I told myself. The only problem with that line of thought is that my kids have different needs than I did. And I want to give them what they need. Uh, nutritionally, that has always been true. Uh, our son has been underweight and incredibly super active. He's like a star gymnast his whole life. Uh, we buy butter at Costco. I'm over here eating cucumbers and handing him fried chicken, you know. Uh, we just have different needs. He asked me the other day if he could eat a stick of butter, and I did not watch him do that, but I did allow it. Um, emotionally, too, all of our kids have been through unimaginable things, and their emotional needs are different from what mine were and are, and so I slowly started to change the way that I parent them. One of the central tenets of TBRI is, is just... To go back to what Chesterton and Perkins were saying, just to see the need. See the need behind the behaviors, right? When you are working with kids from our places, you see some pretty bizarre behaviors. I put my one of my kids in the bathtub the other day, and it was slightly too warm, and so he punched me in the face. Um, what's the need behind that? Why does that happen? What's, what's going on there, right? Um, you spend the first couple of days of TBRI training just learning what exactly is broken before you learn any kind of tools to help fix it. Uh, a lot of what looks like defiance in kids who have been through a repeated trauma isn't defiance at all, and is merely an inability to kind of self-regulate, to, to calm down, right? And so it's not that my children are ignoring me, telling them to calm down or to think about consequences before they act, but it's that their bodies literally can't do that the same way that mine can. Uh, I have to give them tools to compensate 
The other training, the one that I taught this week, uh, was on contextualization, meaning how changing context, how moving from one place to the other, uh, changes the way that you minister and live out the gospel. Uh, here in the French Quarter, for instance, a lot of our ministry is to people who are experiencing homelessness or who are generationally poor because that's who's in our neighborhood. And being here for the past three years has taught me that before I worked here, I knew nothing of the real needs of people who are experiencing homelessness or people who are generationally poor, and I would wager that I am not alone in that ignorance. I have constant conversations with folks who think that there is going to be a purely economic solution to these problems. And I've tried to lend voice to the fact that most of us aren't even in that seeing the core issues. I constantly see people raising thousands of dollars and handing out thousands of supplies without ever having a single conversation or learning a single name, looking people in the eye, playing together, giving a hug. If the problem were an economic problem alone, then putting together a really good care bag and passing it out to people that you don't really know would be a good solution. But the issue at its core is relational. If someone needs some socks, yeah, give them socks, but you really need to sit and give them a minute to talk to them, to get past the pleasantries, to actually get into this person's life. People need to be reconciled back to God or themselves or find family in the church or all of the above. There's not going to be a purely economic solution to a relational issue. We're not even seeing the needs rightly, and so we're not even close to arriving at the right solutions. I had another conversation with uh, John Gerhardt, who preached uh, three weeks ago about giving Christmas gifts to those who are in the midst of generational poverty. He saw a church group buy a ton of gifts, thousands of dollars spent on it. Um, and then as they're giving them out to the kids, the parents wouldn't meet their eyes. Or far from gratitude, the parents acted agitated, almost angry. Why? Any guesses? Real question. You can respond. It's fine. They're being displaced. Right. So what John did last year, he raised a bunch of money still. He bought a bunch of toys still for kids. And they told parents in the neighborhood that they were opening up a Christmas toy shop. And they reduced all the prices to thrift store prices and sold all these brand new toys to parents and had a wrapping station in the shop so that they could go home and give it to their kids themselves. I want to tell you all of that because I want you to see the truth in Chesterton's words. I'm going to read it one more time. It is not that they can't see the solution. It is that they cannot see the problem. It isn't that we can't see the solutions most of the time. It's that we're not even seeing the problems rightly, and not in ourselves, not in our churches, not in our societies. We don't see the problems, or we don't understand them rightly. We're constantly saying things like, I don't understand people who, without seeking to understand. In chapter 2, as Micah is laying out the problems present in his society, he admits that his people probably don't want to hear about it. And then he asks a beautiful question. He asks, don't my words do good to those who walk uprightly? Isn't it actually helpful to point out problems if you can't already see them? Isn't it helpful if you want to work towards peace? So today I want to talk about peace. There's a tension in the book of Micah and in the Bible in general between peace and the work of justice. You can see the tension most clearly in the life of Christ himself and in Jesus' teachings. When Jesus is born, the angel declares peace on earth in the same chapter in which Herod orders the genocide of his own people, their children. When Jesus begins his ministry, he puts words to the tension. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Or as Frederick Buechner paraphrases that first teaching, the kingdom of God is so close, we can almost reach out our hands and touch it. It's so close that sometimes it reaches out to us and takes our hand. So I'm going to read two passages today that bear this tension to us in the book of Micah, this tension between hope and justice. And then we're going to talk about it. Read with me, starting in Micah verse 1, and then we're going to jump to the first verse of chapter 6. So Micah chapter 5, verse 1, and then we're going to jump to 6-1. Now muster up your troops, O daughter of the troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, 
From you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of all the earth, and he shall be their peace. To six one. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent you before, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me briefly. Father God, I pray as I always do, Lord, that no matter what comes from my mouth, Lord, that what you administer to people's hearts and minds would be your truth and your word today. God, because we know your truth will set us free, and we desperately long to be free. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, so we know you, Grace. Amen. The tension between hope and justice is because we know that our hope is not in ourselves, but it is instead in Christ himself. And yet... He draws us into his work. Our all-powerful God, able to harvest a vineyard without a word, and yet he says to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into that vineyard, knowing that one day we will live in the new Jerusalem, in the house of God forever, and eat at the table of our Lord together with the saints in peace, knowing that we will dwell secure. And Christ's kingdom will stretch to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. These things are in tension with the biblical insistence that God's people should be about the work of justice in our communities today. I want to give you a bad analogy. I know, right? It would be more helpful to give you a good analogy. I'm going to start with a bad one. Um, it's easier. I want to give you a bad analogy for uh, that, that far too many people believe, though. I walked to Audubon Park from my house the other day, which is a, a longer walk, and I, I got tired. And I thought to take the streetcar home. But waiting on the streetcar, I got impatient. And eventually I decided I was gonna walk back to save some time. Uh, so most of you probably know exactly what happened. I think RTA actually plans the routes this way. So as soon as I'm walking past the stop that is near my house, the streetcar comes rolling by. <laughs> um, I had saved myself exactly no time and expended a lot of effort. If I had just waited through my impatience, I could have rested. So if the kingdom of God is about us as a people going somewhere we're longing to be, if the kingdom of God is entirely in the future, then us doing anything to get there is just wasted energy. If justice in the church looks like a political movement where we're trying to change the world in some way we see it needs to be changed, then why shouldn't we just wait? We'll get to the same place in the same amount of time. Again, it's a bad analogy, but it's one that far too many people believe. If that is your thought, I want you to change the way that you're thinking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom far away. The kingdom of God isn't a place at all. You can't go there because according to Christ himself, it has already come. According to Christ, on this earth, in this life, the kingdom of God is at hand. You can't wait for something that has already arrived. The kingdom of God is not something we can create as a church. Rather, it's something we reach out and touch, or it reaches out and grabs our hand. It's something we find, which God is calling us to value in the same way that he values the kingdom. 
So, to repeat Christ's words, repent. The time is full, and the kingdom is at hand. In our passage, Micah calls out, Bethlehem is the place where salvation will come from the, for the people of God, which is why we read this passage usually at Christmas, because we've seen the salvation of God in Christ, who was born in a manger in Bethlehem. This makes a certain kind of sense to our minds, right? And we can regard it as prophecy. But if you thought before about what kind of sense it would have made to Micah's original hearers to hear that salvation comes from Bethlehem. Their minds would have gone to Bethlehem for the same reason that Mary and Joseph, so many years later, would go to Bethlehem in the first place. I don't mean the census. I mean because Bethlehem was the city of David. And because city gives the wrong image. Bethlehem was rural. Its name literally means house of bread. It was a farming community. For all the talk of Bethlehem in today's churches, you could be forgiven for thinking that it is the seat of power in the region. But for Micah's readers, Bethlehem was a footnote on the biography of King David. It doesn't make any kind of sense for salvation, especially military salvation for Israel, to come from Bethlehem, except that God does surprising things. And once, God even delivered Israel from the stronger nations around it through a shepherd boy from Bethlehem. So Micah isn't guessing at the place Jesus might be born. Rather, he's encouraging people to remember the history of God's faithfulness and salvation to them. He doesn't know in this moment what exactly God will do to deliver his people both from their sins and from the oppression of other nations. He simply has faith that this is who God is. He will stay with us and guide us through our wanderings, and he will bring salvation to us from the least likely place and when you least expect it. Today is Palm Sunday. Typically, we would be reading the story of the triumphal entry, Christ riding into Jerusalem with the crowd shouting Hosanna, which means, God, please come and save us now, as the song earlier pointed out. And we all feel the tension in that story, don't we? The crowd shouting, Jesus going into the city. We know it's not going out, it's going to work out, not the way the crowd wants it to. We know Jesus is going to do and be something and someone they don't expect. I would tell you the tension in that story is the same tension that I've been talking about this whole time. They, like us, don't fully understand the kingdom that they were wanting, willing to revolt to obtain. If only Jesus were willing to ignite the flame. That kingdom was already here. The one that Jesus was actually bringing was already at hand. So I gave you my bad analogy for uh, the kingdom of God and working for justice. Now I want to give you some good ones about what the kingdom of God is like. We're always crying out to God for and crowning kings like Saul. That will make us competitive with the other nations around us. That will help us win. We're always wanting to walk down the wide road and through the wide gate of the capital. And meanwhile, where is God? How is he working? What is he doing? <clears throat> well, he's in Bethlehem anointing shepherd boys up the narrow path all knotted with tree roots through a gate that you wouldn't even be able to get a chariot through if you tried. Because, to use another good analogy for what the kingdom of God is like, working for justice in the kingdom of God is really more about finding something really valuable in places that no one but God would think to look. Like finding a treasure, a pearl, in the middle of a field. <coughs> Thank you. And realizing that for the first time, that one small thing that you just found is worth more than anything else you've ever had in your life. <clears throat> I would have never thought to look for family in the French Quarter. I would have never thought to look for rich friendships among the poor or for a child in the foster system. <clears throat> but God is in unexpected places, and the shepherd boys from Bethlehem are sometimes worth more than all of Jerusalem and Rome combined. When Jesus died a few days after Palm Sunday, it seems a lot of people went home disappointed. I think of the two disciples on the Emmaus Road going home. I'm sure they weren't the only ones. That Passover was meant to be the moment everything changed. Finally, revolution. With this miracle worker at the head of Jewish armies. Finally, freedom. Finally, we can create a kingdom with some justice in it. Jesus is the only one looking at the Roman soldiers and thinking, I think there may be something in this field that might be worth everything I have. 
And of course, everything did change. Jesus didn't go to Rome on the broad street and knock down the broad gate and declare victory. He went into death itself, where certainly no one but God would have thought to go, and found in us something valuable, valuable enough to give everything he had to buy us back into his kingdom. All the people shouting Hosanna would have their prayers answered that day. They just didn't understand, like we don't understand, until Jesus shows up in our life and breaks bread at our table. Justice isn't a streetcar that arrives at the same time as you do. It isn't a movement that's finally going to overthrow whoever's on top at the moment. It's not a thousand rams or ten thousand rivers of oil or a firstborn child. Justice is a kingdom so close you can almost touch it. And a king so close he's able to reach across heaven and earth to, to reach us, to lift us up. I've been thinking a lot recently about halos. Uh, it started with a mural a few blocks from here. I tried to get a picture, but I, I, uh, I think I forgot to put it in the slides. I'll put it up as y'all are walking out. Picture of this mural. Uh, if you're local, you may know it. It shows a dad with his son. And the son has a halo around his head. The dad has a tattoo on his arm that simply reads, Still Here. I saw it just on a drive randomly, but it stuck with me. Uh, there's some religious imagery, and in our secular society, I like that kind of rebellion against norms. Uh, I liked that the halo wasn't ironic. Most modern forms of halos I've seen are often mocking the medieval artists and twisting that image into something awful. I told AJ about the mural when I got home, my seven-year-old son. And naturally, he asked what a halo is, and it actually took me a little bit to come up with an answer. I, I didn't have one right away. Eventually, I told him a halo is kind of like a spiritual crown. It's a way of showing that someone is royal, a king in God's kingdom, noble in God's view, even if the world didn't see it. A way of showing someone is worth a lot to God, even, and perhaps especially, if the world thought very little of them. AJ then naturally asked if he has a halo in God's eyes, and I thought, yes, child, yes, you are worth everything I have, if that is your question. But I love the halo around that small child born in New Orleans, as some elements of the mural suggest, into poverty. What will be with this child? Will he be a king? Who values all of, who values all of these kids born into poverty here? The artist answers, God does. God values this child, and I say amen, amen and amen. Here, buried in grit and dirt, is a child who is royal in truth, who in the kingdom of God is a treasure worth everything Jesus has to give. And he calls us into the same perspective, the same giving up. Orphans, widows, travelers, immigrants, God's heart is to welcome them into family, into his own family and household, and if you'll allow it, into your family and household as well. In the end, justice is about seeing the way God sees and valuing the way God values. And it grows like leaven in bread, going from one person to another until the whole lump is leavened. And justice isn't just a destination. It's a law. A law which stands at times in contradiction to other laws. So you have to choose this day whom you will obey and serve. What you will value. And I pray that what you find is worth everything you have. I'll end just by returning to the famous passage in Micah 6, which I know I didn't even really touch on, only because it's a passage that doesn't really need a whole lot of explanation. Like when Jesus tells the people of his day to love their neighbors as, as themselves, we know who our neighbors are. We don't need further explanation. We simply need to trust and obey the words of Christ that we, we have heard. Starting in verse 1, Micah goes through the history of Israel again and again to show that the Lord is wanting and waiting to bless his people, to bless them, not to curse them. He's standing, watching the road, waiting for us to come home. Over and over again, we are the ones choosing to abandon the true kingdom. We know it's at hand, but we don't reach out. We don't value the people he values. We see the treasure in the field, and we walk away thinking that we would rather keep the things that we already have than risk redeeming that thing with dirt all over it. We'll close with this. What does the Lord require? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, 
the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He's told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do, do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Pray with me. Father God, I pray you would change my heart and my mind and my eyes, God, that I could see the way that you see, Lord, that I would value the way that you value the kingdom. God, that is so close that we can reach out and touch it. God, just like touching the people around us, Lord, in love and lifting them up. God, I pray that you would change my heart, my mind, my eyes. God, I pray that for each and every person gathered. Lord, that you would help us to value God in a way that is completely countercultural. Lord, that you would help us to value things that the world does not value. Lord, that you'd help us to serve you in such a way that people would see that we have found something that is worth everything. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. I would encourage you to respond in some way. We have kneelers here. You can pray at your seat. You can pray with the person next to you. You can come pray with me. I would encourage you to respond in some way.
grace and peace to love and serve the Lord. Hey, um, one one thing, if you're looking for plans this weekend, catch the ferry across to Algiers. There's a porch sale happening. That's why some of our congregants aren't here. They'll be set up at their house selling the best iced coffee you've ever had in your life. So go check it out um, today, happening today.